So um, about a year ago, I was having coffee with my uh, manager at that, who at that time um, was a lovely Christian woman who I really respect and admire. Um, and I was debriefing to her about a meeting I'd been in that morning and it was quite a challenging meeting and it was about to derail and there was a whole lot riding on it and I was explaining what, what, had, what had happened and how I'd managed to get it back on track. And she sort of remarked to me, woman of valour. And I sort of looked at her, sorry, what did she say? Um, she said, oh, oh you, you'll see. And then about a week later, this book just appeared on my desk, A, a Year of Biblical Womanhood by Rachel Held Evans. And I thought, mm, sounds interesting. Shoved it in my backpack. We were going camping um, up in the Flinders the next week. So one morning, um, I was sitting in my little patch of winter sun on uh, Murnamora Station outside our camper trailer. And I got up to this chapter... No, <laughs> too long without touching my um, sorry, keyboard. Um, here we go. Oh, no. This didn't happen this morning. <laughs> See, I know it too well, I don't need to look at my notes. Um, okay, back on track. So, yeah, I'm sitting in my patch of sun and I get up to this chapter titled, Will the Real... Proverbs 31, woman, please stand up. And that really got my attention because Proverbs 31 is a 22-verse acrostic poem. It's the last um, chapter in the book of Proverbs. Um, and it's attributed to this mysterious king, Lemuel, who uh, the scripture says was taught, um, to, and it was taught to him by his mother. And uh, the poet praises the everyday um, sort of achievements of an upper-class Jewish wife a wife who keeps her household functioning day and night by trading, investing, planting, sewing, weaving, managing servants, extending charity, providing food for the family and preparing for each season. And just, you know, if you haven't read it, just as a couple of examples, she rises while it is still night and provides food for her household. She makes linen and garments and sells them and and she's so accomplished, in fact, that translators can't even agree what to call her. A wife of noble character, an excellent wife. You know. um, so, and I will admit to having read those verses a few times in my life and um, sort of wondering if I measured up to any of them. Certainly not sewing garments. My sewing fad lasted about six weeks at the age of 14. Um, but scholars uh, seem to agree that um, that the, the Hebrew word that everyone's trying to translate, Eshet Ha'il, is best translated as woman of valour. Because um, the structure and the words used in that uh, poem um, actually has um, warrior-like connotations. For example, the, she provides food, literally prey, for her household. She watches, literally spies over um, the affairs of her, of her household. Um, and... So contrary to my long-standing perceptions of this passage, the purpose of the poem is actually to draw attention to the often overlooked glory of the everyday, not to be interpreted prescriptively as some sort of to-do list or to-be list. Um, and it's not written to honour one particularly praiseworthy, multitasking woman, um, but rather to highlight the... Um, uh, uh, the significance of women's skilled work in what you know in a household-based um, economy. 
And in fact, in Jewish culture, women are often called and will call each other a shetail in, in, you know, as, a, as a form of praise. Like you, um, you sewed your own children's clothes instead of buying them. Oh, a shetail, woman of valour. You worked an extra day to earn some money for your family. Oh, a shetail, woman of valour. It's a very common thing. And um, interestingly, it's not the women who memorise Proverbs 31, but the men, but the, men, the husbands, um, commit each line of the poem to memory so they can recite it to their wives at uh, the Sabbath meal, usually in a song. A valorous woman who can find her value is far beyond pearls. So if you, men, just, you know, <laughs> just, you know, if you want, I'm just a suggestion. Um, but anyway, what I'm, the point I'm making is that Eshet Hayil is at its core a blessing one that was never meant to be earned, but to be given unconditionally. And it's like today's version of, you go, girl. Um, and as I sat there with my Makona sachet latte, a poor substitute on camping, I just sat there reading this and I just had tears streaming behind my sunglasses. And it was like this electrifying warmth washed over me. And it's probably hard to explain, I'm sure there's some women here can probably relate to this, but I just, as I'm reading this, the layers of expectation that had subconsciously I'd piled on myself, they just, they just fell away. And then I just felt utter, utter adoration that my God, who knows the end from the beginning and knew that the scriptures would be read by women of all cultures and all races, would choose to include a passage that praises women for all that they do because he knew their lives would be endless multitasking and many of which may seem mundane and insignificant in the day-to-day but yet they're important too and they come from God, the provider. And he knew he created women with so many different talents. Savvy businesswomen, you know, women with the strength to lead nations, Women with hearts that are just ever expanding, you know, um, embracing the, the hurting and the poor. Some with the creativity, like, like Kay in our church, who you know, has created some knitted beautiful garments for people in this church for years. And God devoted 22 verses to praise us as women of valour. And that's a gift. And my next thought was, I have to share this, Mother's Day 2021. <laughs> <laughs> So that's sort of what began the journey for me of God revealing to me and not just to me but women in my small group and of how he sees women, how he feels about women. And it was honestly, it's like being visit, it's like, it's like I've sort of, like visiting an art gallery that you've sort of visited for many, many years and then all of a sudden you realise there was this whole corridor of portraits of God's face that you'd missed and all of a sudden it's being revealed to you. And so my prayer for today is that this sermon would, would be a gift for every woman here who listens, <laughs> always here today, um, and that it's straight from, from God's heart to yours. But men, that doesn't mean you get to switch off um, because my prayer is that your heart would be open to this and that it would bless you in other ways as well. Because if there's one thing you can be certain of and something I'm certain of is that God is delighted to answer your questions and to satisfy the deepest spiritual yearnings in your heart to know him. 
And there's a verse in Deuteronomy that's so powerful. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And I'd feel quite desperately that women need to hear this message. The things that God is revealing to us now have the power to transform our generation and those to come if we share them with our children. And I'm quite convinced that God is doing something in this nation and all over the world for women. He's shaking things, he's exposing injustices and leaving aside political views and finger-pointing. I think we, we can't deny that, that something has been bubbling away and it's reaching the surface. And as the church, we don't want to miss that. Because one of our biggest struggles as women is our worth. Where does our worth come from? Is it from raising children? What if I don't have children? What if I can't have children? Is it from my husband's love? What if I never marry? Is it my job? What if I hate my job and I haven't even found what I'm good at? Well, then is it my self-image? And where's this never-ending guilt coming from? Like, I'm not good enough. I'm either letting my kids down as a mum or I'm not on top of things at work or haven't even got time for, like, friends and relationships anymore and... You know, just a tip, you know, husbands or men, the greatest gift you can give a woman is rest, some time out. Although my husband will tell me I'm my own worst enemy for that. Um, but it's true. Women need, women need that and need to be encouraged in that, just to even strengthen their own relationship with God. But I think the heart of these struggles about our value and our worth is somehow we've either consciously or subconsciously believed that as women we're lesser to man or lesser to God. And as women we, we, we have to stop looking into mirrors that other people are holding up and we need to look into the true mirror of God's word. And so today I'm just going to draw out a couple of truths from God's word to address that, to help us. And a really good starting point is to understand that in the very beginning, God created men and women equal. Genesis 1.27 says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So the Bible's clear. God created men and equal, men and women equal. Dominion over everything was given to the woman as well as to the man. And the woman was not created inferior to the man, nor was the man greater than the woman. And God himself elevated the status of women forever when he chose to send his own son to be born of a young virgin girl. And you see, when you actually look in the scriptures, the way that Jesus related to and treated women was utterly revolutionary if you consider the patriarchal society of that time. And so I'm just going to give a few examples because when you hear this, it, it really hits home. So Jesus' first miracle was performed at his mother's request. His first revelation of himself as Messiah was to the Samaritan woman. 
He did his greatest miracle, the raising of Lazarus, at the request of two women, Mary and Martha. His death was memorialised by a woman anointing him with perfume. Women were included in his expanded group of disciples. They stayed with him when he was crucified. They, women observed his burial, burial. And following his resurrection, he appeared first to a woman who was there. And he called women to be the first evangelists in Matthew 28. As Mary and Mary Magdalene were running from the empty tomb to tell the disciples, Jesus encountered them, he intercepted them. And they fell at his feet and worshipped him. And he said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. And I really believe that God uses each of these events to intentionally reveal women's equality with men in his eyes. And how courageous of, of, of those men who wrote those New Testament Gospels to, to, to include it and to record it. So Jesus, through his death, not only bridged the gap between God and humanity through his death on the cross to make atonement for our sin, but he removed all cultural barriers, including gender and race, nationality. And Galatians tells us, it's one of our favourite verses, for there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The second truth that I want to draw out today from the foundational scripture that male and female were created in God's image is that female, everything that is, makes me a female, is fully part of the image of God. And that might sound sort of obvious, but at another level, it's very profound because we never think about that. And historically, we may you know, use a male pronoun to describe God, but to say God is actually male would be wrong and to say that God is female would be wrong. But it tells you that the, without the female part, you can't begin to fully know God. So a better way of putting it is this. So God is neither male nor female because God is beyond gender. God is spirit, immortal, eternal and beyond description. But together, male and female persons begin to reflect something of the image and glory of God. And when we can grasp that truth, there is so much that flows from that. Because we can understand that the heart and image of God is actually best reflected by male and female. And we see that in marriages. But how amazing that, that we can extend that even further to the church. To our workplaces, in leadership. The wonderful attributes that God has given males and females when brought together, complement each other and reveal the image of God. And the other beautiful truth that flows from that is that you, you can't know God fully without seeing his heart as the best mother you will ever have. 
the lo- whose love is unconditional, compassionate, forgiving, tender, gentle. And there are actually so many verses throughout the Bible which reveal the mother heart of God. So I'm just going to touch on a couple. And it goes right back to the very beginning, the birth of creation. In Genesis 1, it says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. That word for moving over, maharafet, it means hover or flutter in Hebrew. And it denotes a mother, like protecting her young. And that same word is used in Deuteronomy 32, describing the Lord leading his people through the wilderness, just guiding them by his, gently by his law. It says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. So that breath or, or ruah of God is pictured intimately hovering over like this new creation with love. It's amazing and it's consistent with, with um, in Job, when God speaks to Job in Job 38, who clo- enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb, when I made the cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. And it's like these verses liken, like, like a metaphor for God creating the world as a mother whose waters have broken and then swaddling her baby. It's amazing. And throughout the prophets, the culminating glory of God's presence with man is described as a mother nurturing her children, like delighting herself in in God. One of the greatest verses in the Old Testament from Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And... You know, to know that your father God loves you as a mother comforts a child is deeply personal and deeply healing. And it's life-changing. In Isaiah 43, God said, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And as a mother, there's something so validating and and personal to know that everything that makes me a mum is coming from God and that I can find that in God. Because does a mother ever stop being a mother? I, I don't think so. Becoming a mother, you know, expands your heart in a way that you never thought was possible. I still remember holding my firstborn, Seth, in those first few days at home when your whole world just shrinks down to a bassinet, a change table and somewhere comfortable that you can feed and the rest of the world might as well have just stopped for all you care. Um, and just feeling overwhelmed like by this love for your baby and you, almost like you don't know how to handle it. It's almost too much. And then when you think about if that's how I feel about my son, then how must God feel about me? It's almost too hard to wrap wrap my head around. But as we all know, I'm sure, you know, being a mum can also be the hardest, hardest, most unglamorous job in the world. And 
was thinking about how during COVID last year when we were all working from home um, and I was attempting to juggle three children, you know, who are meant to be schooling at home um, and a full-time management role. I remember on day one, like, I'd been sacked by recess when the, boy, <laughs> the boys flatly informed me that they'd rather wait till teacher dad got home to go through their maths uh, lessons. Um, and then by day two, Edie sort of took it upon herself to attend my Zoom meetings. Um, and then by the end of day three, I think I was sort of rethinking the definition of essential worker. So I, I, um, it was certainly a challenge for a lot of parents. Um, but earlier this year in my amazing uh, women's life group, um, and Lorinda is listening from the roof in Cambodia, she just messaged me. Hi, Laurie. Um, we were discussing that exhaustion that comes upon us, um, just of juggling a million things in, your, in, in our heads, the details of life that may seem quite small and insignificant in and of themselves, and, but then when you drop the ball and you, <laughs> you know, it, they actually matter, like that, that school picnic you missed or that costume you didn't organise, um, and that makeup swimming you never got to. I, I can never seem to do those makeup swimming lessons. Um, <laughs> but at a much deeper level, you know, that, that sense of, hang on, there's something not quite right in my son's friendship or a bit worried about what my daughter said at breakfast. I really need to talk to her about that. And, and then even beyond, you know, your own family, like, I know my husband's, my, my neighbour's really lonely. I should probably invite her over or that person at work is, it seems quite troubled and hurting. I need to make time. I need to take that person out for coffee or... Um, you know, there's just so many things. I think as women, you just, in your head, it's endless. Um, and then, I don't know about, I don't know if it's just me, but it, sometimes it feels like my kids are all fun and games for dad and then they save up all their emotional issues and then come and dump on mum. And it's usually, you know, kind of spans the entire weekend. And by the end of it, you're sort of feeling quite exhausted and teary and you don't really know why. And there's not some freshly you know, painted wall to show for it. There's not some carefully constructed retaining wall. There's nothing you can actually point to as like, yeah, that was my labour for the week <laughs> weekend. <laughs> no, in fact, it just leaves you quite wrecked. Um, but the more I think about it, I think, you know, the more I think it's not by chance that our children come to sort of come to mum and dump, <laughs> dump on us. In fact, it was interesting watching that video again because I noticed... Um, boys love to come to mum and you know talk through things mum knows how to make, make a mistake better and work it and it's so beautiful um, but I think it's because God created women with the intuition and tenderness and compassion and emotional sensitivity to bear to bear things and to work through things and to not brush over and to validate and to call out lies and then to redirect our children to the truth and we see that in the scriptures time and time again. God leading his children, leading them into truth. Write it on your doorposts. Write it on your, you know, in your hearts. I've inscribed it. That's, that's the heart of God. And so by doing that as women, you know, we are reflecting the very nature of God that he created in us. And, and it's just so reassuring to know we're not alone in it. He bears it with us. And then it got me thinking, wow, if I'm doing that for my children or how much must God be doing that for me, for us? 
And it made me think of that verse in Romans 8 where it says the Spirit prays for us in ways that cannot be put into words. The Spirit himself pleads with God for us in groans that words cannot express. And only yesterday uh, a friend was sharing with me um, her deep struggle at the moment for a decision concerning her son and his future. And it was really, yeah, really agonising for her. But she said she felt numb to prayer. And it occurred to me that her emotional labour over that situation, that groaning of her, her heart and her spirit for her son, was, that's prayer in itself, that's the spirit groaning and labouring for him. And I think the greatest, one of the greatest reflections of the maternal, the mother heart of God, is reflected throughout the Bible when we see God's heart for the orphan and the widow. And it's just an incredible reflection of how much God is a God of relationship. And as the people of God and as a church, if we're not showing the mother heart of God and caring for widows and orphans, then you know we've probably lost our way. And what's incredible about that is because it shows that God created us to live in relationships. So, so when, that's, when something's taken out of that, when an orphan loses its mother or father or a widow loses her husband or husband loses, you know, there's a void there. And God knows that and God knows that pain. But he doesn't want to leave it void. And, you know, I was just thinking, as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about about Kate in our church and we have a WhatsApp group in our, in our mum's group and we'll share, you know, things that are really on our heart for prayer and Kate's been, um, her heart is just aching for, for a little boy at, um, at their school who's lost, lost their mum. He's one of four siblings last year um, to cancer and I think of Lorinda with her dear neighbour Brooke. She lost her battle to cancer last week, leaving behind two children um, I think of my, uh, my dear work colleague who lost her husband suddenly last year and is caring for her autistic son as a single mum and she just has this incredible courage just to keep going and keep coming to work. And I just, yeah, I think it's so good to, to, to think of these situations because I think God knows the only way into those voids is his heart. He gave us his spirit. The spirit is the great comforter. And so, you know, as the people of God who carry his spirit, you know, may we never give up or or be too afraid to enter into those situations, to pour his spirit, to pour our love into those situations and to to fill that void and to wrap our arms around, around those people. And so this morning, you know, if, we, if we cast our minds back through our own personal histories, you know, we would find stories of women of great love and sacrifice and you know, those who stayed at home um, and lost loved ones to war, women who bravely journeyed alone with, with their children um, in the hope of finding a safer place to call home, mothers who have loved and, and lost children, 
and then those who have adopted um, others into their families or grandmothers who have mothered again when their own daughters couldn't. And then women who long, long ago lit their own candle of faith and kept it alight and passed it down to generations. And just recently in our own family, we, I was really blessed to, to be given the journal of my ancestors. Um, I live in Handorf and I didn't know that um, in the late 1800s, um, my ancestors uh, on my mother's side had come uh, f from Germany and they, um, they came to Handorf with nothing, like they walked there with nothing. They were blessed by the, the Germans. Um, they left fr fruit and veg for them. And, but they were incredible women, uh, a, man, a man and woman of incredible faith. And, and we've got their journals and um, the woman, Ellen Meyer, she prayed. She, she had a heart to start a Sunday school in Handorf and but she didn't have a building and, and she prayed. She didn't want to ask, she just prayed. And the, the man that ran the old, the old mill um, did up this building and gave it to her. And children from all over Handorf would come there on a Sunday morning for Sunday school, independent of their parents. It was just the Sunday school. Um, and I had no idea, you know, it was just such a blessing to me to know that the streets I walk every morning and the church bells I hear ringing on Sunday mornings and that, you know, my ancestors were there as people of faith and no doubt, you know, they were praying for generations um, to come. And so as women, you know, may we be praying for our children and our children's children and, we, you know, we just don't know the, the faith that is yet to come. Um, so, yeah, let's keep it alive and pass it down. I'm just going to close in, in prayer. Father, um, thank you so much, God, that, that we could hear this message, God, that you would reveal more of yourself to us, Lord God. I just, I just pray that every woman who hears this message would find their worth, find their value in you, God. And that out of that, um, you know, would, their heart would flow, God. And we just um, thank you for the men in our church who love and support the women in this church. And we just um, think of those families, Lord, that, that we, those situations that I, uh, that I mentioned. Father, we just pray that they would come to know your love, that your spirit would fill that void, God, that you would wrap your arms around them. They would know the comfort of the Holy Spirit and that they would have hope to, to, to press on and courage. And we just thank you, God, that there is no story or situation that is too hard for you or beyond your reach or outside of your love. And just personally, God, we pray that we would know your mother heart more and more in our own lives, personally. That we would draw close to you, God. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.